Welcome to the Western Bell podcast series with talks on traditional spiritual teaching and its application in the world today. The intention of the series is to offer something useful for those who are drawn to study themselves and engage practice on the spiritual path. New talks are posted twice each month. The content of the talks is for informational purposes only and not to provide any kind of counseling, medical, or professional advice. This podcast is titled, The Way of the Wise Woman, A Deeper Dive into the Awakening of the Mother Spirit. It was given by Red Hawk on August 21st, 2021, via Zoom by phone. Red Hawk is a spiritual practitioner of over 40 years and the author of 12 books, including The Way of the Wise Woman, as well as Self-Observation, Self-Remembering, and Return to the Mother, a trilogy. He held the Alfred Hodder Fellowship in the Humanities at Princeton University in 1991-92. He was a finalist for the Walt Whitman Award of the Academy of American Poets and a runner-up for the Patterson Poetry Prize. If there is benefit in this talk for you, please consider sharing the link to it or writing a review on social media or on one of the podcast platforms. Red Hawk. I want to begin with a sacred blessing ceremony and a way of empowering the space that we now, all of us, occupy. So I'll do that by uh, chanting. Yogi Ram Surat Kumar, Yogi Ram Surat Kumar, Yogi Ram Surat Kumar, Jaya Guru Raya. Yogi Ram Surat Kumar, Yogi Ram Surat Kumar, Yogi Ram Surat Kumar, Jaya Guru Raya. Jay Shri Kepali, Yogi Ram Surat Kumar. Guru Maharaj Yogi Ram Surat Kumar. Jay Shri Kepali Yogi Ram Surat Kumar. Guru Maharaj Yogi Ram Surat Kumar. So just a word of explanation because I don't know who I'm talking to and I don't have a screen. I only have a phone in my hand. I don't have a computer or a smartphone. What I just did was a traditional blessing ceremony and an invocation ceremony. Yogi Ram Surat Kumar was the master of my teacher, my spiritual teacher, Mr. Lee, Lee Lazowick. And uh, we invoke his name often in order to create a sacred chamber. Word chamber is a word used in spiritual circles to denote a sacred gathering where one of the names of God is invoked. So we are now in an empowered, sacred, invocational chamber in which we have called upon God to descend and to enter into this chamber, called upon Yogi Ram Surat Kumar and Mr. Lee to enter into our hearts so that we may listen from another place in our bodies, not just the mind alone. And what you'll see on the screen periodically is pictures of Mr. Lee and Yogi Ram Surat Kumar just to 
revivify our memories that we're in a sacred space and that we are asked to come into this space in another way than our usual existence in spaces, to enter into this space with attention lower down in the body. I'm going to speak tonight about the feminization of one's inner work, about a stage in the work, in the inner spiritual work, where one's approach to awakening becomes feminized. So I think I'll begin by reading the quote from Mr. Lee, which is on the back of the book, The Way of the Wise Woman, because it says very succinctly and clearly what I'm speaking about. So I begin, quote, transformation is not a masculine process. The work is not a masculine process. Practice, sadhana, surrender to the will of God are not masculine processes. Many people assume they need to batter practice, to club it to death, until finally they will dominate, win, end up victorious. But this approach does not work, plainly and simply. The process is feminine, and the keys to the lock which imprisons reality or truth is in a feminine approach. We must go at this knot of confusion called the mind or sleep or unconsciousness or illusion or maya with very gentle, humorous, patient, accepting relationships to it. We can practice vigorously, but with bright and flexible vigor, not rigid, righteous vigor. We must give ourselves time to relax into this enlightenment, whatever it is, rather than trying to force it to take us over, permeate our fears and illusion, which of course it cannot do. If we approach the work as woman, we may just discover something quite unexpected and surprising, but no less delightful. End quote. That quote, by the way, is from the book Just This 365, Wisdom and Wit from the Teachings of Lee Lozowick. I want to make what I call a deeper dive into the awakening of the mother spirit within. And so I'll just say a word about what I mean by the mother spirit. Regardless of gender, the mother spirit exists in all of us. It exists as a still field of vibratory awareness, a still field of vibratory awareness. Lao Tzu, in his remarkable and sacred book called the Tao Te Ching, speaks of this still field as the valley spirit, as the mother, as the Tao. All three of those names are names which he gives to that which cannot be named. And he says right away in the Tao Te Ching, the Tao which can be named is not the eternal Tao. So the first great joke, which I will share with you tonight, and which many of you probably have already gotten, is that I'm going to give a talk on something which is nameless, which I call the mother spirit, but which is not that. It's only an indication. And in speaking to you about the mother spirit, 
it's inevitable that I talk to you about stillness. So the second grand joke, which I'm sharing with you tonight, is here is a hopeless idiot giving a talk about stillness and speaking about something which cannot be named. So the joke is on me. And having warned you that an idiot is speaking to you, one simply wants to remind you that anything which the speaker says must not be believed. You must not trust what the speaker has to say about the subject at hand. In fact, if something the speaker says creates a vibratory response in your heart, that's the point at which you must begin to investigate for yourself and verify, verify, verify from your own direct personal experience the truth or falsity of what was said. If you accept without question what the speaker has to say, then you're creating an image in the mind and you're lost and hopelessly confused as always, and have not made a deeper dive into the question which vibrates in you. So I want to talk about the press practice of active stillness, which is how one arrives at the gate of the mother spirit. When one arrives at the gate of stillness, one must leave the mind and all of its knowledge behind. The mind cannot tolerate stillness. Perhaps you've seen this for yourself when you're in a group of people and there is an awkward silence. People become afraid and begin to chatter. So the mind can take me as far as the gate of the mother spirit, at which point the mind must remain behind and I enter into unknown, uncharted territory, unmapped territory. Completely unknown territory, which is the territory of the still field of vibratory awareness. So the practice of active stillness, I'm going to quote now from the book, Self-Remembering the Path to Non-Judgmental Love. This book is available from Home Press, H-O-H-M-Press.com, also from Amazon. But before I read that quote, I want to simply make a deeper dive into the body with you, if you wish so that we can be with one another from a different place than is my usual location of attention. So we begin with both feet on the floor, an erect posture. Zen Buddhism calls erect posture the awakened form. Usually my posture in the day-to-day discourse is not erect. The body assumes one of a limited number of postures which keep me unconscious and mechanical and habitual and enslaved by the mind. Erect posture is one of the gateways into the present because the mother spirit dwells in the present only. The mother spirit is the present. Then conscious placement of attention below the neck in the body moving attention out of the intellectual center, out of the mind, and down lower into the heart center, solar plexus, navel, hara region of the body. In shamanic practice, this is called the shifting of the assemblage point out of the mind with all of its knowledge and its means of assembling reality into a different assemblage point. So we see that Attention can be consciously shifted anywhere in the body to the big right toe, to the left hand. 
because I am awareness. And I have the will of attention, which allows me to shift my center of gravity. Any place in the body I choose. But we have been taught from the earliest possible moment to fixate attention in the mental sphere, the head brain. And we become enslaved to that placement. But with erect posture and conscious placement of attention down lower in the body so that I begin to sense the self from a position at the heart center or the solar plexus, the abdomen or the hara. And this allows us to be together in a different way, to listen from a different perspective, a different center of gravity than the mind alone. And having shifted one's attention down lower, one becomes aware, sensing the breath, that magnificent ally, the breath. Awareness of the breath is one of the most ancient of all spiritual practices because the breath is an objective feedback mechanism. What I mean by that is the breath allows me to know when I am present and awake in the body. Awareness of breath means that I don't force the breath. Very difficult, because the moment I become aware of the breath, mind wants to manipulate it. To say relaxed and at ease in the breath allows me to be in the presence of the mother. And once I become aware of the breath, I allow it to go all the way down to the base of the spine instead of shallow chest breathing. I become aware of the whole body sensation, sensing the whole body. It's very rare that I sense the whole body. Normally, I'm aware of the head brain and its chatter, of tension when emotion arises, but with erect posture, conscious placement of attention lower down in the body, sensing the breath, I become aware of the possibility of sensing the whole body head to foot. Because I occupy the whole body, I am awareness or attention. I become aware of a pain somewhere in the body because I occupy the entire body. I'm able to focus the awareness which I am at any point in the body or in the entire body. And by immersing myself in breath and in sensation, the body begins to relax its tensions. I am a field of tension which can begin to relax little by little. And this allows me then to be present. This is the first stage, self-remembering. The second stage of self-remembering is that I allow myself to be aware of myself in a space. I am aware of the body in the space it occupies, and I am aware at the same time of the space which I occupy. Now it includes 50 souls a gathering of souls wishing to return to the mother. It is the most fundamental, primal, ancient of all longings. All embodied souls have the longing to return to the mother. And that is the basis of all of our longing, is the longing to be held in the mother, nurtured by the mother which is one of the names I'm giving to the present, the mother spirit, which is stillness.
So I want to speak about the practice of active stillness. And I will quote now from page 74 in Self-Remembering, from the section entitled The Masculine and the Feminine. The conscious movement of attention below the neck and into the body, I'm breaking the quote to say this is what we just practiced together. Back to the quote, restoring connection and relationship with the body is a masculine move, an act of conscious doing. So the movement of attention from the head brain down into the body is a masculine move. It's an active doing. Begin the quote again. It is masculine energy which holds attention in its place here, and in so doing creates sanctuary or safe place, which allows the inner feminine energy to emerge and receive. Thus, the masculine remains in an active passivity, actively still, holding attention, and the feminine assumes the passively active role. The terminology derives from Arnaud Desjardins. In order to receive the help from our Creator, which is available for transformation in the present, the feminine is receptive energy. Thus, the masculine and the feminine are joined with this movement, a perfect marriage within. This is the awakening of the feminine or the feminization of the inner work. I end the quote. So now I'm going to read from Return to the Mother, which is a book of poetry, poems of self-remembering and self-observation inspired by Lao Tzu's Tao Te Ching. I'm reading from page 77. It, it is poem number 71. So the title of the poem is a direct quote from Lao Tzu's Tao Te Ching. I quote, The female overcomes the male with stillness. Unquote. What follows then is the poem which is a response to Lao Tzu. I quote, It is the masculine which moves attention out of the mind down into the body where the feminine waits for the sign that it is safe to emerge. That sign is the presence of attention in her dwelling place, in the present. She is stillness, and it is this quality which overwhelms the masculine force and gives rise to devotion. Her stillness draws him back over and over. She builds her nest of stillness. Her love is stillness. Thus, the masculine becomes passive as devotion, and the feminine becomes active as love. This is the perfect union. Love and devotion from which adoration is born. So I'm reading poetry that was given to this poet by placing himself in the feminine position that is receptive, longing to receive, and allowing oneself to be penetrated by the feminine stillness in which the poems were given. 
going to read a poem which is not from the books, but is by the speaker, by the poet Red Hawk. It's called The Secret. He was once a student of mine, and now he is assistant manager at Wendy's. Second marriage. Two kids. Drinks a lot. He comes by once in a while, and we go into the backyard, play bocce. He is a great admirer of my poetry, so one day he asked me, what is the secret to writing really good stuff the way you do? I tell him it's all dumb luck, grace and mercy, blind chance. He laughs because he thinks I'm kidding. The poems that I will read from the way of the wise woman are received by grace and mercy. And they inform me, they teach me. It is the effort to remain actively still, which is the practice that leads me to the gate to the Mother Spirit. I read from the way of the wise woman, page four, poem number two. The wise woman's vigilance is never idle and bows before no dogma or idol, worships no plan or man, longs for no result, is moved by the moment, what is felt in the wind, the way a leaf throws itself upon the mercy of every vagrant breeze. When in exultant joy she goes to her knees, it is to worship the grass, the dirt, and the trees. Then she is still, unmoving. The hurt which humans do has not soiled her heart. This practice of active stillness leads one into the still field of vibratory awareness. And if one practices it with enough diligence and love in the heart, one grows to love the stillness. One grows to love the unknown. And one becomes slowly aware that I am the stillness. When one situates oneself in the still field of vibratory awareness, all that remains is breath arising in that still field. And I see that I am not the breath. It is arising in the still field of awareness. And sensation, bodily sensation, and I see that I am not the bodily sensation. It is also arising in the still field of vibratory awareness. And one begins to be aware that between the thoughts, there are gaps. When one engages active stillness, thoughts begin to lose some of their force, their power over me. And there begins to be not a steady stream of chatter, which is the ordinary state that I find myself in. One thought arising after another but there's gaps between the thoughts. And it's those gaps that I'm suggesting you begin to investigate. Because in those gaps, all that exists is awareness. 
a still field of vibratory awareness in the gaps between thoughts. When I eliminate thoughts, I'm not the thoughts. When I eliminate emotions, I'm not the emotions. When I eliminate the body, I'm not the body. What remains finally in those gaps is awareness. And slowly it begins to dawn upon one that I am awareness. And everything that I witness, all forms are arising within that still field of awareness. I am that still field of awareness, and all forms are arising in me and appearing momentarily and then disappearing again into the stillness. I am is stillness. And one is reminded of that Bible verse when Moses encounters the burning bush and the bush speaks to him in the voice of the unknown and says, be still and know that I am God. All the masters point to stillness, but it's taken me a long, long time to arrive at active stillness because I am a hopeless idiot, a slow learner that should give you great hope yourself, great encouragement, because you're probably not hopeless idiots, but a hopeless idiot is a very slow learner. A hopeless idiot is one who repeats his errors over and over and over and over and doesn't learn from them except by the hammer on the head over a long period of time. And slowly things begin to dawn in his thick skull. Let's see, I want to read from a book by my friend Robin Bloor and P. Schmidt, who edited a book called Readings Prosaic and Poetic. It is a collection of 108 various prose and poetic statements about awakening and about the sacred work. It's a wonderful collection. It moves from very ancient, from Lao Tzu to Shakespeare to modern poets, T.S. Eliot and others. And it's just brief quotations from their work. I'm going to be reading from a section by Thomas Hoover on the death of Bodhi, Bodhidharma. The death of Bodhidharma, I'm quoting now, the death of Bodhidharma is swathed in legend. It is told that after nine years at the Shaolin Monastery, Bodhidharma decided to return to India and called together his disciples to test their attainment. The first disciple reportedly said, quote, as I view it, to realize the truth, we should neither rely entirely on words and letters, nor dispense with them entirely, but rather we should use them as an instrument of the way. To this, Bodhidharma replied, you have attained my skin. Next came forward a nun who said, quote, as I view it, the truth is like an auspicious sighting of the Buddhist paradise. It is seen once and never again. To this, Bodhidharma replied, you have attained my flesh. The third disciple said, quote, 
The four great elements are empty, and the five skandhas, constituents of the personality, body, feelings, perceptions, will, and consciousness, are non-existent. There is, in fact, nothing that can be grasped. To this, Bodhidharma replied, you have attained my bones. Finally, it was the turn of Hui Ko, Bodhidharma's chief disciple. He only bowed to the master and stood silent at his place. To him, Bodhidharma said, you have attained my marrow. From The Way of the Wise Woman, then, I read from page 27, poem number 25. The wise woman, doing nothing, achieves great things, because she forces no action, accepts what life brings, and creates out of nothing beauty, harmony, grace just as the birds sing for no reason save they are alive. She does not desire or strive for greatness. She tends to what lies before her, gives it her full attention, and others adore her work because it is elegantly simple and plain. She acts on faith alone, seeks no personal gain. A wise woman doing nothing achieves great things, creates out of nothing. Well, what can that mean, doing nothing? Well, if we embrace the practice of active stillness, active stillness is doing nothing. The masculine holds attention down lower in the body, which I hope you're maybe doing now, so that you receive what's said from a different vantage point in you, not translating into borrowed knowledge, but receiving in the feminine mode without thinking about it, letting intuition work. The masculine holds attention there, actively passive, and the feminine then naturally arises, the feminine mode, the feminine state passively active. What does that mean? It means that I am receiving. I am in the receptive mode, which is how these poems were written. I am allowing myself to be penetrated, feminine, to be impregnated, feminine, to allow something to be born in me, feminine. I call the present the mother spirit because all Life arises from it. It gives birth to everything. It is the source of nurturing. Being held in the present is being held in stillness, in the mother spirit, the feminine. My dear friend Lalit, who is a wonderful spiritual teacher in her own right, gave a talk not too long ago in which she spoke about the heart-brain. I got that terminology from Joseph Chilton Pierce's book, The Biology of Transcendence, which I also get that terminology from. When I place myself 
in the feminine mode, in stillness, the intelligence of the heart arises. Feminine wisdom, it arises from the still field of vibratory awareness. Thus, I'm not doing. I am allowing. And what I've found myself, um, and I must uh, warn you that I, I am not stabilized in the still field. So I'm not one who has achieved a, a steady state of realization. I get pulled back into the mind and its meanderings into the emotions. But that still field is so attractive to me that I return over and over during the day. I am not one who has had a satori experience. I have not had a samadhi experience. Those have not been given to me. What is given to me is that I am given the task of doing my work and minding my business. My business is to remain actively still and allow the divine descending love current. I call it a love current. I'm talking about the current which animates all life forms, descends into us, and animates the human body and all life forms in all worlds in the universe. It is the current of life. It is the life force. I call it a love force because it's so attractive that I have learned to love it. And our work, as we're taught by the work, is to receive this descending current to allow it to pass without restriction, without reaction, without impediment, through the body. When I receive and am penetrated by this divine love current and conduct it through the body by not interfering, not identifying, it allows the body to operate in its highest function, which is as a energy transformation instrument. The body then receives this current. It transforms that energy into a finer energy, part of which remains in the body in order to assist the bodily being in its evolutionary stage. The rest, the main part of that energy, passes out of the body it feeds the earth, it feeds those beings above me in scale, and it all goes all the way back to uh, our creator, to the source of that energy. This is according to law. I am given to be a law-abiding being. The law is called the law of reciprocal maintenance. When I follow that law, I become both food and am fed. I am both fed and I am food. I follow that law by the practice of active stillness, holding attention down lower in the body. And this practice is one not just of frequency, that is, I remember it over and over during the day, but of duration. It's not enough to remember it and come back over and over, but to stay there longer. This requires practice in staying in the field of the unknown, the still field of vibratory awareness. I get pulled back by the mind. I get pulled back by emotion. 
I get distracted by the things around me, outside of me. I remember, I come back, I seek the stillness within. It is nurturing. It is gentle. It's completely unknown. And I try to stay there longer. Frequency and duration. Stillness is the gateway to the divine current. Stillness is the gateway to the feminization of one's work. I'll read a little from The Way of the Wise Woman now, because what The Way of the Wise Woman is, um, one of my dear friends, Sarah, said to me, The Way of the Wise Woman to her is a handbook of right action. What a lovely thing to say. And for me, that's what it is. It is a 58-poem description of what the mother spirit looks like in action through the body in ordinary life. I'm reading from page eight now, poem number six. The wise woman lives only from intuition and feeling, while those around her are taught lying and concealing what their hearts are intent upon revealing. She shines with life while they live in recoil from the heart and fear the sting and sorrow of death because they are divided, live apart from their feelings, while she is in love with her breath and body. She is real, and they are nothing but a thought, divorced from the present moment and fraught with tensions, an open wound, never healing. So I want to point to two things in that poem. Read it again. My, uh, my uh, lovely assistant in her skimpy outfit has uh, requested me. That's <laughs> Chandrika, my wife. Poem number six. The wise woman lives only from intuition and feeling, while those around her are taught lying and concealing what their hearts are intent upon revealing. She shines with life while they live in recoil from the heart and fear the sting and sorrow of death because they are divided, live apart from their feelings while she is in love with her breath and body. She is real and they are nothing but a thought divorced from the present moment and fraught with tensions, an open wound, never healing. So there's much to say about that poem. First of all, the practice of active stillness, the practice of presence, self-remembering, self-observation, is a self-correcting mechanism. It is a healing modality. Its healing process is slow. It doesn't use drugs. It doesn't use anything but me being honest and viewing myself as I am. So it's a healing modality. And I know this because I have been healed from a badly broken and wounded psyche. I am in the healing process. I'm not an end product. I am a healing process in evolution. I'm a work in progress. And I don't see any end to that progress to that healing, to that evolution. I'm told by those who know 
that there is no top end to this process, and I am very grateful for that process of learning, of dropping everything I know, and entering into this stillness in which the wise woman lives only from intuition and feeling. Intuition is higher intellectual center, which is allowed to operate freely only when I am not interfering with the descending love current, the life current. Inspiration, which is where these poems came from, is higher emotional center. It is allowed to operate freely in the being only without interference from the mind and the emotions. Non-identification. Non-interference. So I'll read from page 16. Poem number 14. The wise woman has unseen protection, a source of help and undying affection, which both arises from the Mother Earth and descends from above, so that it is with her before birth and manifests in her as non-judgmental love. She sees and accepts that the gift of death is everywhere around her, so that each breath is a precious gift and teaches her to only live here, now, slow to judge, quick to forgive. So I want to point to forgiveness as one of the ways that one activates and brings to life the feminine within. Forgiveness and apology are the two secret keys to awakening the feminine. The line she sees and accepts that the gift of death is everywhere around her, so that each breath is a precious gift. All right, so... When I embrace the practice of active stillness, I embrace that life and death are the same, are one. And I openly embrace my dying as part of my living. When I was preparing for this talk, I picked up my copy of The Naked Song, which is the Songs of Lala, translated by Coleman Barks. Lala was a 14th century feminine female mystic. And it's said that she went naked everywhere. And uh, her songs are very simple, beautiful songs. This is from page 53 of that book. As my love and my faith and my interest in the inner grew, the darkness diminished within and without, and Lala lost herself in that light. And from page 69. If you ride the breath and keep it under control, hunger and thirst and other wantings will not be dangerous to you. Being skilled with that bridle is a great blessing. So what does she mean, if you ride the breath and keep it under control? Under control simply means that I do not interfere with the breath. What I keep under control is my identification and reactions. I allow the breath, I immerse myself in the breath. And then she says, from page 78, how did I get here? Where am I going? Only true initiation helps. Is breath awareness all there is? 
So one turns to the breath over and over again. One turns to the breath as one returns to the mother. One receives the nurturing of the mother in stillness. I read from page 34, The Way of the Wise Woman, poem number 32. The wise woman is grateful for the gift of death because it makes everything she touches holy. She worships God in every breath. It makes the smallest complaint folly and gives great urgency to being kind. She keeps her death always in her mind, so holding on to anger seems childish, a lie which fools indulge as if they will not die. Death makes a joy of her conscious labor to love herself as she loves her neighbor. Breath becomes sacred in the practice of active stillness. I come to love the breath because it returns me to the stillness. Page 35, poem number 33, the first line, for the wise woman, everything is food. Everything is food. What that means is that when I do not interfere with the descending love current, there is no judgment. All that is arises as food. Everything becomes food. And now I'm quoting from the book, Not What Should Be, But What Is. It's the collection of the common, the wisdom of Swami Prajnanpad, as brought to us by Arnaud Desjardins, the great French master. Now I quote this directly. This is from page 12. God's will is what is happening every moment. That's it. All the rest is the mind is a lie. This principle has no exceptions. I read it again. Quote, God's will is what is happening every moment. That's it. All the rest is the mind is a lie. This principle has no exception. So the mind immediately leaps in and says, well, but what about, what about, what about, what about, what about the, the Holocaust? You can't say that was... What about X? You can't say that. What about Y? What about the raiding of the Capitol and all those? Well, you can't say, I repeat, quote, God's will is what is happening every moment. That's it. All the rest is the mind is a lie. This principle has no exception. So then someone asked me, well, what, what do you do about all the things that are being done to the earth? and humanity on a suicide course. What do you do about that? And I say that I do my work. I remain actively still. I receive the descending divine love current without interference. I allow it to pass unimpeded through the body. And it passes out of the body and into the still field of vibratory awareness, which is what I am. That still field of vibratory awareness is a unified field. Everything that enters it transforms it. So my work is to distill the descending vibratory love life current to allow it to pass unimpeded through the body 
My work is to remain actively still, to not interfere, to not identify. The body then transforms it into a finer energy which passes out of the body as love into the field of vibratory awareness. That's how I influence. That's how I affect. That's how I change the world. By doing nothing and allowing the love to pass through me in a distilled form and pass into the still field of vibratory awareness, which is a unified field. With every breath, I change the world then by not doing, by not identifying. Everything is food. I think I'll stop there now, and, and let's see if there are any comments, questions, responses. You just had a quote, uh, God's will is what is happening every moment. I miss the source of that quote. Would you repeat the source, please? I'd be glad to. It's from a book which is brand new from Home Press, H-O-H-M-Press.com. It's called Not What Should Be, But What Is, The Wisdom of Swami Prajnanpad with Commentary by Arnaud Desjardins. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for asking. You quoted from a book of collections. You said there was poems and sayings. What was the name of that book? Yes, thank you for asking. The book is called Readings Prosaic and Poetic. It's edited by my friend Robin Bloor and P. Schmidt. It's available from Karnak Press, K-A-R-N-A-K. And it's a wonderful 108 sayings and poems, food for the heart and mind. If there are no more questions, one of two things is possible. I have either been so utterly clear and objectively transparent that everyone has understood or the hopeless idiot has muddled the water so badly that nobody understands and therefore can't ask a question. So if there's no more questions, let's play a game if you want to. Here's the game. You give me a number from 1 to 58, and whatever number you give me, I will go to that poem in the way of the wise woman, and the, that poem will, will indicate to you something about your work, which you can begin to investigate for yourself, or which will help elucidate the work that you are presently engaged in. Number one through 58. Anybody who wishes to play with me, give me a number. 17. One at a time. 17. 17. All right. The wise woman is born with a radiance which either blinds or opens people's eyes. So some grow gentle and drop all defense against love are transparent, without disguise, while others cannot bear to look into the mirror love presents, are shook to the root by looking love in its face and are maddened by their own disgrace. That radiance is like a light from safe harbor, which guides storm-tossed sailors to shore. So whoever asks, don't hide your radiance. Don't be afraid of other people's responses to it. Simply walk through the world in stillness, and that radiance will be broadcast from you without your doing anything. Give me a number, 1 to 58. 21. 23. One at a time. <laughs> Did I hear 23? Number 23. The wise woman guards her home against thieves. 
She is as vivalent as a sentry in enemy territory, watchful for each negative thought or emotion, leaves nothing unobserved. Unguarded thoughts are the repository of fear, and that is the greatest thief. It deceives us into believing we are helpless. So she is wary of thoughts which are married to emotions. They lie and steal her equanimity. She believes only in the present, the source of grace, and never grieves for the past, is not the victim of her personal history. So I'll just add that for the wise woman, her personal history is is a source of rich food. It's food. And she does not interfere when her personal history arises. She allows it to arise. She remains actively still. And that memory, the energy that's locked in it, is released. It's allowed to pass via the breath through the central nervous system. The body transforms it into a finer energy. Some is left in her to feed the being in its evolution. The rest passes out of her to feed the earth beings higher than her in scale, all the way back to the source, which is our creator. Give me a number. 48. Number 48. For the wise woman, if kindness doesn't work, she tries more kindness. I'll interrupt for a moment to say that that's from my beloved friend Rosie. It's one of the teachings of Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche. I begin again, number 48. For the wise woman, if kindness doesn't work, she tries more kindness, which to the mind is madness, a course of action it cannot comprehend, behind which certain danger lurks. It is this mindless fear which creates the blindness whose demand is always to defend, and violence is its inevitable end. Thus, she chooses kindness to lend a helping hand. Give me a number. Five. Number five. The wise woman sees only goodness everywhere. Even the worst among us are not spared her mercy. The content of her heart is bared. And kindness pours forth like a spring uncovered in a storm. She comes into the human world to bring a softness to their hearts and to perform the miracle of drawing blood from stone. For the sins of humans, her goodness will atone. Her alchemy brings forth joy from despair. So this is an answer, really, to those who say, what can I do? The world is in chaos. I do my work. I conduct the divine descending love life current without interference or impediment. For the sins of humans, her goodness will atone. And you see, when I follow that practice, my goodness, the goodness of all life forms arises And then I begin to see that goodness everywhere. Give me a number. 21. Number 21. 
The wise woman is one acquainted with grief because she knows life is fragile and brief and will steal those she loves like a thief in the dark, leaving behind a sorrow with no relief. Life is as delicate and uncertain as a leaf blown in the wind, and no doctrine or system of belief eases the longing for the loved one who has died. She accepts death as part of love, but will not be denied her mourning. Love brings the full range of joy and heartache. It is a covenant which even death cannot break. So I want to end with what Buddha called the five remembrances. I have taken the liberty of altering and editing and slightly transforming them. So these are the five rememberings as filtered through a Red Hawk. I am of the nature to be born into the human mammal form, therefore subject to all of the laws which govern that form. I cannot escape those laws. The work tells us that there are 48 sets of laws which govern the human mammal form. And by doing the work by conscious labor and intentional suffering, I can escape from 24 of those 48 laws. I can be under a higher order of laws. The second remembrance, I am of the nature to age, and so I am subject to all the laws of aging, and I cannot escape the laws of aging. But by the practice of active stillness, I do not identify with the aging process, except to see its goodness and its beauty. The third remembrance, I am of the nature to weaken and cannot escape the laws which govern the weakening of the mammal form. As the body weakens, my practice grows in strength. My love grows in strength as the body weakens. I see more and more the urgency of remaining present in the stillness, knowing I am the still field of vibratory awareness in which all things arise. So the weakness does not affect me, only the body. The fourth remembrance, I am of the nature to weaken and then sicken. I cannot escape the laws which govern the sickening of the human form. As it weakens, it will sicken. But as my practice grows and strengthens in the practice of the active stillness, the weakening and sickening of the human form are merely passing phenomena, which I do not identify with, I do not interfere with, and they become a source of strength. The fifth remembrance, I am of the nature to die. I cannot escape the laws which govern the death of the human mammal form. It gives my work urgency and necessity so that I do not waste time in petty grievances. 
I do not waste time in holding grudges. I wish to forgive at once everything. I wish to apologize for all my mistakes at the minute I make them. Apology and forgiveness awaken the feminine within. They are the keys to feminizing my work. My friends, we work together. We are practitioners. We are not masters. We are not gurus, but together we work. We support one another. We hold one another. We help one another. We assist one another in our waking, our living, our working, our dying. God bless you. I'm so grateful for the help that you've offered in allowing me to be here with you. Yogi Ram Sarat Kumar, thank you. God bless you all. Excuse me, may I ask a question? I would be willing to entertain any questions. Thank you. Red Hawk, I wonder what verifying these teachings look like. I wonder if, for me, if I do the work patiently and persistently and I pay attention to my breathing, maybe it will result in suffering less because I pay less attention to my inclement thoughts. I, I don't know if I made myself clear. It's very clear. And so I immediately want to say that the moment you speak of results, you have slammed the gate shut and you have prevented the possibility of the feminine arising. I work with no thought of results whatsoever. I work out of love of serving. I work in order to conduct the live love current without interference, and the results are not my business. Results are the business of God. I work without any thought for results at all. I simply do my work. I love doing my work. I love the breath which conducts the current through the body, and I am grateful for the opportunity to work, period. Relax, enjoy, breathe, be gentle. Don't try to force, don't push. Thank you. You're very welcome. Good question. 